Let me pray for us. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give us clear thinking as we engage with your word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder what you would call the current age. Now, I don't mean the year 2020, because this year has been pretty much dominated by COVID-19, hasn't it? But the current age generally, this part of the 21st century. Now, there are many things that could be referred to as, but one might be the age of adventure. It's so easy for many of us to go on adventures around our country and around the world. Uh, The the cost of travel these days is very low. Back in 1986, I got a really cheap return airfare to London. Then 30 years later, in 2018, I got an even cheaper return airfare to London. I mean, how many things today are cheaper than they were 30 years ago? I read some statistics which suggested that last year, one in three Australians went overseas. That's statistically. Now, I'm sure many of those would have been work trips, but I'm sure many of them were backpacking adventures, family holidays, retirement cruises, and the like. More and more people are heading off for adventures around the country and overseas. But we don't even need to hop on a plane because we can experience adventures these days on our television screens. The internet uh, opens up a whole new world for us. And in terms of culinary adventures, you can go to the shops and decide to cook Indian or Lebanese or Thai food. We can have, you know, food eating adventures. So the age of adventure. But this age could also be referred to as the age of anxiety. Anxiety is an issue. Everything from the standard run-of-the-mill, I'm just really worried about this thing, right through to diagnosable anxiety disorders. We can worry about decisions, about difficulties, about demands. And we as Christians are not immune. I mean, this last year has had its fair share of anxiety-causing events. There have been fires, then floods, then coronavirus. And then we have all the standard worries. We worry about marriages. We worry about our kids. We worry about our country. And Christians can sometimes face distinctively Christian worries. Someone might think, oh, you know, I sometimes have my doubts and I sometimes face these difficulties as a Christian. Will I stand firm in my faith to the end? Will my kids stand firm in their faith to the end? And worry can manifest itself in so many ways. Our sleepless nights, twisted thoughts, short tempers, irrational decisions, headaches, general loss of enjoyment, etc., etc. Our journey through life certainly produces its challenges and anxiety-producing situations. I wonder whether you're worried about anything at the moment. It may be that as you watch this sermon this morning or this evening, that you are so worried about something or other that you can barely focus on what I'm saying. Or perhaps you feel relatively at ease with the world, 
But if you stop for a period of time, concerns can start to float up into your mind if you give them the time of day. Perhaps you might like to try a little test on yourself. Identify something you're concerned about at the moment or worried about at the moment, put it in your mind, consider it, and then ask yourself the question, how am I dealing with it? Where am I looking for help? What's my first port of call? Well, as you and I journey through this age of anxiety as well as adventure, today's psalm has some very helpful things to say to us, some really important truths that we as believers can hold on to. Today, we're concluding our holiday series in the Psalms entitled A Great Big God. Our passage is Psalm 121. Our title is Help for the Journey. Uh, hopefully, many of you will have downloaded the outline uh, for the sermon today. And uh, it's a talk in three parts. Part one is entitled Psalm 121, A Song of Ascents. Point two, help for the journey. Point three, our real help or our help comes from God. So let's start with our first point, Psalm 121, generally. Now, I can sometimes refer to this psalm as perhaps a journeying psalm. Now, that's my name for it. The psalm describes itself as a song of ascents. Now, this is the second of 15 psalms with this particular heading. So what actually is a song of ascents? Now, there are various theories, but it seems possible or probable that these songs were songs which the ancient Jewish people would sing as they journeyed up to Jerusalem, uh, where they would visit each year for perhaps the three major festivals, the festivals of, of Passover, Pentecost and Tabernacles. And they would, they would sing these song of ascents as they ascended or journeyed to Jerusalem. And their words were helpful because they reminded them of things which were important and relevant to them. Now, you and I, I very much doubt whether any of us at the moment are, are physically journeying to the physical Jerusalem. But if we're Christians, thanks to the work of Jesus, we're all journeying to the new Jerusalem, the new creation. We're ultimately journeying to heaven, where we will one day be with God and his people forever. Now, one thing which we'll realise is that some of the concerns of the ancient Jews as they journeyed to the physical Jerusalem are very similar to the sorts of concerns that you and I can have as we journey to the, I guess, the new Jerusalem. Now, the first thing the writer is concerned with in this psalm is getting help for the journey. And this is our second point. Verse 1 of the psalm says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Now, what are these mountains that the psalmist lifts his eyes to? A couple of possibilities, let's say. It could be that the psalmist is looking to the mountains upon which Jerusalem stood. He's looking up to the mountains, he's looking to Jerusalem, he's looking to his ultimate destination. Or it could be that as the psalmist is journeying, he's not so much looking at his destination, but he's looking at the mountains that are around him. 
Now, we look at mountains today and think, how scenic, how impressive. But in the ancient world, uh, mountainous areas could be dangerous areas. They were a place for um, you know, bandits and the like. And so if someone was traveling through a mountainous area, they would be potentially concerned for their safety. So whichever mountains are being referred to here, in any case, as the psalmist journeys along, or as the song describes the journey along, people are concerned to know where their help or protection comes from. And that raises the question for us. When you and I are anxious or worried, where do we look for help? Where is our first port of call? What is our ultimate source of assistance? Now, today, you and I, we have many options. <clears throat> we might, for example, in times of, of worry, look to ourselves. I can handle it, we think. I don't need a crutch. As many of you will know, we recently ran Christianity Explained online at our church, and over each of the five weeks, I presented uh, in the evening with a different member of staff. And in the fifth and final week of the course, I presented with Georgia Condi. And during the course of the presentation, she had the opportunity to share her testimony. And one of the things she shared was that when she was younger, before she became a believer, she very much thought she didn't need God. Why? Because she could look after herself was one of the reasons. Now, it's certainly good for us to take responsibility for our own lives as we can, but when we feel anxious, what is our first port of call? Do we just look to ourselves? Another option when we're under pressure or, or concerned is that we can look to money. We think, I should be able to buy my way out of this predicament. I'll pay an expert to solve my problems. Got financial woes? Go to a financial advisor. You've got personal woes or relational woes, go to a psychologist. You've got business woes, go to a lawyer or an accountant. Now, getting advice from experts such as these can be very helpful, but are they our ultimate source of help when we're concerned or worried? We might look to drink when we're worried. Anything from getting to the end of a hard day and thinking, oh, I need to unwind a bit, I think I'll have a drink, right through to life is excruciating. I just want to forget everything. I'm going to drink myself to oblivion. There's an old friend of mine, a really good bloke, um, a former churchgoer. I'm not sure whether he goes anywhere at the moment, but sadly, he is now an alcoholic. Now, I won't pretend to be an expert on his life, but I know he did suffer some really highly traumatic and highly pressured um, events or situations quite a while back. And he always did seem to like a bit of a drink, but it obviously has got out of hand. When we face worries, do we ultimately look to the bottle? Or do we look to self-help, you know, pop psychology, Dr. Phil, something like that? Now, self-help pop psychology books can be really useful. I read one a number of years ago called The Road Less Travelled by a guy called M. Scott Peck. And that gave me a few life skills which I have genuinely found helpful. Um, you know, the, facing up to the fact that life is difficult and sometimes we need to delay gratification and, and things like that. 
But is pop psychology our ultimate source of help when we run into problems? Or do we look where the psalmist looks? He asks in verse 1, where does my help come from? Verse 2, he says, my help comes from the Lord. The Lord is his first port of call when in trouble, his ultimate source of assistance. Now, having God as our ultimate source of help, of assistance, doesn't mean that God mightn't use experts or friends or self-help books, or in the ancient world, I guess, self-help scrolls to help us. But ultimately, it is God who is our ultimate source of help. Now, verses 2 to 8 of the psalm go on to unpack this truth. And there's one idea that is mentioned five times in the remaining verses. And that's the idea that God watches over his people. It's mentioned five times. Look at verse 3. He who watches over you. Verse 4. He who watches over Israel. Verse 5. The Lord watches over you. Verse 7. He will watch over your life. Verse 8. The Lord will watch over your coming and going. Do you get the idea? He watches over his people. But how is he watching over his people? There was a very uh, successful song back in the 1990s sung by Bette Midler. And she famously uh, sung, God is watching us. God is watching us. God is watching us. And now here's the clangor. From a distance. God is watching from a distance, the song says. Now, I looked at the lyrics of the song, and it seems to describe it how if you look at the world from the distance, it looks beautiful and blue. But if you get up close, the cracks start to appear. There is want, there is sickness, there is war. But God isn't watching things close up, according to the song. He is watching from a distance. It seems to speak of a distant divinity, a remote God. It doesn't speak of a God who is close, who is proximate, who is personal, who is, is, is intimately involved, helping, assisting and actively working for his people. Now, before we go further with this, I could note, and it probably would be helpful to note, that God watching over us and helping us does not mean that we're all going to avoid suffering. The psalmist doesn't think that. I mean, the previous psalm, the first song of ascents is Psalm 120. And it opens, I call on the Lord in my distress. Uh, Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. It finishes with, I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. The psalmist knows that we face suffering. The Bible knows that we will face suffering. Look at the book of Job. Look at the life of Jesus. So when the psalmist says that God watches over us and will help us, what does he mean? Well, can I say I believe it means first that nothing will happen to any of God's people, to anyone in fact, that God won't allow. God is sovereign. Nothing can happen to us outside God's sovereign will. And whatever he does allow to come our way, you know, minor difficulties, major difficulties, 
He says that he will help us to stand firm and to endure it. So God uh, watches over us in that respect. And secondly, I believe it means that God will watch over our soul. You see, if we're one of God's people journeying to the new Jerusalem, God will get us there. Jesus says something very similar in John chapter 10 in the New Testament, where he says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. So having noted that, let's let's really get back to the psalm. And I, I, I'm, I assume that many of you would have appreciated what I've just said already. But um, let's go to verse 2. The psalmist writes, My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. You see, God here is not some localised God, uh, someone who is restricted to a certain people group or a certain part of the world. He is the God who made and is Lord over the heavens and the earth. Now, there is a God who has power and the capacity to help us and to protect us and to watch over us. Then in verses 3 and 4, it says, He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Now, if you've ever done trekking in the mountains, you've probably found yourself walking along a mountainside, sometimes with a fairly steep drop uh, to the side of you. And sometimes there's a fence there, but sometimes on certain tracks, there's no fence there. It's just you, the track, and then quite a drop. I recall trekking in New Zealand a number of years ago, uh, walking along with quite a big drop on my right-hand side, and I thought, boy, if I, if I stumbled or slipped here, I could be in a bit of strife. So we can sometimes have that concern. But uh, I guess that's a metaphor there, isn't it? We can be concerned about slipping as we journey through life. We might be concerned that we might slip up or our loved ones might slip up. Now, what might slipping up actually entail? We might think of slipping into sin or slipping into unbelief or slipping into poor decision-making. And we may fear this as we're battered by adversaries or battled by temptation or battled or battered by illness and injury. I was talking to a few people at work here during the week uh, about people who we knew who were once involved in Christian ministry, perhaps even through um, having been to Bible college, but had slipped way off course. Their Christian lives had slipped way off course. And one of the most common reasons, and there's probably no surprises here, is sexual sin. You know, there's that danger of slipping up. Now, the comfort here is that as we ponder the danger of slipping, the comfort is that God, our helper and our protector, is ever vigilant. In fact, God never sleeps. Now, I've been reading a very interesting little book recently called um, Thank God for Bedtime. And this book looks at what the Bible has to say about sleep. Now, you might sort of think, what a strange thing to write about. But when you stop and think and consider the fact that we spend about a third of our lives sleeping, probably does make a bit of sense to give the topic a little bit of thought. And the book makes the obvious point that we're designed to sleep. And in fact, um, you know, 
I guess sleep experts tell us that having good adequate sleep has so many benefits to us mentally and physically. We're made to sleep. We sleep, but God never does. God will never be asleep and thus in a position to miss the minor or major details of our lives as they occur. He's always awake. He's always vigilant. He's always doing good. Customer helplines may be closed. Work colleagues may go on holidays. Friends may not pick up the phone. Our spousal parents may be asleep, but God is never asleep. He's always available and alert. And one of the points the book makes is that because God never sleeps, we can. Let me say that again. Because God never sleeps, we can. We can fall asleep knowing that God is watching over our lives and over the lives of our Christian loved ones for good. I heard the story of the great English preacher from the 18th century, John Wesley. He was travelling on a boat from the UK to America. Now, as a young adult, Wesley was an Anglican minister, but he may not have been converted at this point or may not have come to a full appreciation, I guess, of the implications of the gospel at this point. Anyway, he's travelling to the United States and the boat runs into a major storm. Uh, People on the boat are very worried. Uh, Wesley is worried. There's general concern, possibly panic. I'm not even sure. But also on the boat were a group of Moravian missionaries. They were Christian missionaries, uh, men, women and children. And from what I've heard, these missionaries remained very calm throughout the storm. And Wesley apparently asked them, how can you sleep through all of this? And apparently the reply he got was, the Lord neither slumbers nor sleeps. There's no point in both of us staying awake. Because God never sleeps, we can. Verses 5 and 6, it says, The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. God watches over, shades, protects us during the day and during the night. Now, I think we all like a bit of sun, particularly in wintertime. But the sun can be a vicious adversary. There are the dangers of sunburn, dehydration or or worse. A few years back, I was watching a a travel documentary. A guy was trekking up the Nile River in Africa. And at one point, he links up with two other guys. And as they trek along, one of the guys suddenly gets sunstroke and dies. Like he actually dies. And... uh, This entirely took us by surprise and changed the viewing experience. I mean, there I was watching a nice relaxing travel doco and then suddenly the the harsh reality of life just hit us there in the face. You see, we need to take the potential danger of the sun seriously. Similarly, we need to take the dangers around us seriously. Now, you and I are acutely aware of some dangers, dangers on the roads, dangers of drugs. Uh, As Christians, particularly after Galatians, I hope we're aware of the dangers of false teaching. But some dangers we barely notice. 
They slip under the radar. They can seep into us almost subliminally. Secular attitudes and the like. I may have told uh, some of you in the past that when I was younger and thinking of going to more college, uh, this voice was in the back of my mind. And I suddenly realised there was something saying to me, Stephen, don't go to Bible college. Bible college is for lightweights. It's for lightweights. You don't want to go there. And I thought, where on earth did that idea come from? Now, I grew up on the North Shore in a fairly, you know, achievement-orientated environment. I worked as a lawyer, which was a fairly achievement-orientated environment. And what my conclusion was that these, I guess, some secular attitudes of my context had crept into the back of my thinking. Now, thankfully, God helped me to identify those. And when the crunch time came, I just put them to a side. But, you know, we need God to watch over and protect us from the things we're aware of and even those things we're not really aware of. Finally, God's protection is eternal. Verses 7 and 8. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. There's no limited warranty period here. Now, when I was young, my parents did their best to look after me, but they've since died. Today, me as a parent, I as a parent... Look, I try and look after my kids. In fact, we do it so well that my son sometimes sometimes says that we're overprotective, which I take to be a ticket that we're doing the right thing. But unless Jesus returns, I hope I will predecease my kids. I won't always be there for them. But God is not like that. He won't die. He won't get bored. He won't run out of steam. His help, his vigilance, his watching over us is eternal. So let me conclude. It's so important to have the right protection. If we're out in the sun, we want the right protection. If we're sleeping in alpine conditions, we want the right sleeping bag. As God's people, though, we have the right protection. You see, in the age of anxiety and adventure, where all sorts of things can threaten to bruise us, to trip us up, to throw us off course, as we're journeying to the New Jerusalem, the comfort is here that God watches over his people all the time. Where does our help come from? Ultimately, it's from the Lord. So as we, as God's people, journey to Jerusalem, the comfort is that God will get us there. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your sovereign control and your loving care, that you watch over us, that you are our ultimate source of help, and we can rest assured in that. Thank you for this truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.